0: And greetings once again, Matt Dixon here, your host with the Purple Patch Podcast. And this week, we're gonna talk about hydration. And we're gonna do this through two lenses. The first is performance hydration in training and racing. The second, we're gonna talk about the importance of hydration in your daily life. Accumulatively, when we add them both up, They become critical for your performance journey. Just as we did in our two-part series on nutrition and fueling, we're going to approach this in exactly the same way. Today, me, myself, and I outline the key concepts and establish our lens on hydration. And then in part two, we're going to bring back our Purple Patch resident nutritionist, Kyla Chanel, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of all the details and get a little bit more granular, start to give you some actual numbers around hydration that you might want to think about. Before we dive into the subject, a quick personal note. If you like what you hear on the podcast and you're enjoying it so far, you might want to take an opportunity for a deeper dive. My second book, The Fast Track Triathlete, gets much deeper in many of the concepts that we establish here. And I think you can enjoy this and get your own copy at purplepatchfitness.com. Hey, I'm even happy to desecrate it with my own signature. Well, now that I'm clear of my shameless plug, we can get on with that thing, word of the week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary word of the week. The word of the week this week the journey. The journey. Yes, this is key around establishing your perspective of success, whatever your goals are in performance. Over the last couple of months I've had a couple of athletes join with some really strong personal aspirations. The first, we're going to call her Sue, has the goal of becoming a professional triathlete, and yet she still has limited experience in the sport so far. And the second, we'll call him John, has a mission to complete his first 70.3 or half Ironman distance race. I'll actually add to this one of my pros who's living through a little bit of a gnarly start to the season, a niggle on a calf, a little bit of about a bout of Flu that knocked about for two weeks. Well, all three of these athletes have an understandable mindset of go, go, go right now. The pro? wants to catch up, a little behind. John wants to accelerate to his first 70.3. I want to do it this year and I want to do it great. And Sue, it's 2020 soon. I want to be a pro and the Olympics are only a couple of years away. So there's a desire on all of their parts, understandably I might add, but a desire to accelerate the process and to ultimately make giant leaps in their own performance. We've got Sue chasing the Olympics, John who wants to get ready quickly, and of course the pro who wants to catch up to have the big breakthrough season that they actually really do deserve this is a risk-filled mindset the key and this is non-negotiable you cannot rush physiology you cannot rush the process i've yet to see an athlete who charges and tries to beat the process of time and specific accumulation with favorable long-term results Every single time people try and life hack, try and take shortcuts, try and get there quicker than the body is ready, bad things happen. So even if you have some very lofty aspirations, you have to be who you are and progress from that point. And this is why we place so much emphasis on words and concepts such as The journey. Yes, there's that word of the week, but also patience and process. It isn't cheap talk, it's essential. It's the reason also that we place so much emphasis on personal development over simply outcomes. And finally, it's why I avoid things like quick fixes and phrases like hacking or diets in nutrition. It's all about longevity and ultimately about establishing long-term, simple habits that can be effective your intention must be developed to establish authentic and sustainable performance do that and the journey becomes fun and you end up achieving way more than you can ever imagine and that is why this week the word of the week is the journey now let's get on with the meat and potatoes Yes, the main topic today, hydration. So let's establish what I want you to get out of today's discussion. There's really two main components. The first is I want you to gain an understanding of the principles and key actions around hydration in training and racing. The second is I want you to establish an understanding of the interaction of hydration in its role in components of daily life, recovery from your training, health and energy management. And out of those two pieces, hopefully we can start to establish some simple habits that you can integrate into your daily living. We're not going to get too granular today because we're going to go deeper in a future episode by welcoming back Kyla Chanel. And that's where we're going to get into some real metrics and in-depth advice. Today is about establishing the right lens, the right mindset and get you going on the right path. So let's frame it. Well, where does hydration fit in the performance puzzle globally? I would say that it fits very firmly under the pillar that we call nutrition. And as a reminder, when we think about the big bucket of nutrition in the performance spectrum, there are four main components, nutrition and fueling, and then two types of hydration, which we're going to go through today. The first, training and racing. So those are the fluids that are consumed during exercise. And then secondly, your daily hydration. So that big bucket of nutrition is very simple. Nutrition, fueling, exercise hydration, daily life hydration. Those are the components that we're looking at. When we think about hydration globally, I think it's first important to establish the big hydration controversy as it relates to performance. This is another one of those subjects that evangelism tends to populate out of it. Should you drink to thirst? And that relates to an evolutionary mechanism that signals the body when we're thirsty and we're in need of fluids. Or... Should you have a really specific hydration strategy, a critical element of performance during training and racing, and we must avoid dehydration at all costs? Well, we're going to discuss this today, and hopefully I'm going to provide some answers. Is it drink to thirst, or is it always having a specific hydration? It's more simple than you might think, and yes, you might have guessed it. You don't have to be evangelist and fall on one side or the other to get to the right answer. So with that context, let's get going. Two pieces that we're going to focus on mainly: training and racing, daily life. I want to start with the training piece So when we think about hydration, I think most people understand intuitively that hydration is quote "important." After all, we're hit with marketing and education from all directions, but fewer understand why it's important. What's actually going on with hydration within the scope of exercise, training and racing? Well, I would say that the fluids that you consume while you're exercising, training or racing have two main roles. The first is to help transport the consumed calories that you may take in across the stomach and lower intestine. So in other words, a transporter. The hydration facilitates absorption. The second role of the fluids that you're consuming is to maintain your blood volume. So what I wanna do first is I wanna investigate both. Let's talk about absorption first. And this is very, very simple. When appropriate, You want to consume calories to make sure that you're maximizing your performance during your workouts or racing. We understand that. If you don't understand it, go back to the podcast on nutrition and fueling and listen, then come back to here. But yes, we consume calories. These calories help maintain or improve performance. As mentioned in the nutrition and fueling podcast, short workouts don't need calories under 60 minutes, no need to consume calories. So here comes your first tip of today. You can simply drink to thirst in this scenario. You're not consuming calories. You aren't over-worried about the duration of massive dehydration coming, and you don't need to help consume hydration or fluids to help with transport. And so drink to thirst, and guess what? Plain water is fine. You don't need any magical solutions for that. It's a 60-minute session. But longer or more intense sessions need caloric support, and this is where hydration first becomes a factor. We consume hydration to ensure that you dilute the consumed calories to best enable or facilitate absorption. You don't want to have a bomb of calories going in when the body is under stress of either fatigue of a long duration or the intensity of some intervals. As you will learn, as we exercise or become fatigued, or I would um, operating in environmental stress such as heat or altitude, the rate of absorption through our GI system goes down. And so what we want to do is consume fluids so that the calories that you have to consume to facilitate performance are diluted, and therefore those calories will get absorbed. And we're going to avoid by hydrating or facilitating the fluids as a transporter that sick, bloated, watermelon in the tummy type feeling. And so great, it's a transporter. That's the first role when we're thinking about hydration during training or during racing. But now let's talk about the second role. Let's talk about maintaining blood volume. So what does hydration have to do with your blood? Well, let's explore and we're going to go into a little bit of physiology here, but we're going to try and boil down the complex into the very simple and digestible. We're going to go third grade for a minute. So let's take a step back and think about your body. You are a closed system. At least I hope you're a closed system and you have give or take. We're just going to say for the sake of argument about six liters of blood that's circulating around and around your body with lots of different roles. What I wanna do is narrow down the roles associated with just performance during exercise and training. And if we go pretty high level, you really have three main roles of that blood circulating around. The first is your blood helps deliver oxygen to our muscles that then go on to create energy. And I would say as a part of them, offload some nasty byproducts including CO2 so that we can get rid of them through expiring through air. So there is a role of energy delivery, let's call it that. Oxygen to help in the process delivering energy. That's the first role. The second role of your blood is shunting the blood to the skin to dissipate the heat that is generated from the work we do during exercise. When you work hard, the oven gets hotter, you generate heat. And the blood is the main vehicle when it pushes to the skin that then we dissipate the heat so that we avoid some really nasty corrosive things that happen to our brain and organs. The third is the blood goes to the gut to help with absorption. Now, all of these are important. But as you get dehydrated, as you start to exercise and you are sweating and you are losing fluids, you are naturally getting dehydrated. A byproduct of that is that we lose blood volume. Specifically, the plasma makeup of your blood starts to drop. So this is where a competition begins, and the competition is between our muscles calling out for oxygen to generate the work, our skin calling out for blood so that we can dissipate the heat, and our gut calling out for blood so that we can actually absorb the calories that you're consuming. That is the competition. So who wins? Well, there's no prizes for this in today's podcast. It all centers around self-preservation. The skin is the winner. We must get rid of the heat or there is a direct impact on brain and organ function. So it's a non-negotiable. When you exercise during training or racing, you are generating high heat, the higher intensity, the more heat that you generate, the bigger the person, the more heat that you generate, assuming that you're doing more work. And so therefore we must get rid of that heat. The second in line are your muscles muscles because we have high motivation to keep doing the work and last in line will be the gut. And so therefore, simply put, it's much tougher to absorb calories when you're running than when you're sitting down for your Sunday roast dinner. So getting dehydrated means that as you start to lose blood volume, the ever prized blood continues to drive to the skin And it creates an increased in perceived effort for the same amount of work, a drop in your economy, a radical drop in your absorption rate at the gut, and ultimately a drop in your performance. So this is the mechanism. This is what's happening. And as we become dehydrated, we can expect at a certain point that our performance will decline. The question is, when does this happen? Well, it's commonly accepted, the most recent research shows, that at around 4% of total dehydration, so 4% of our body fluids being lost, there starts a negative impact on global performance. So I want you to remember that number, about 4% dehydration, and we're going to come back to that later in this episode, but think about it, 1%, 2%, 3% dehydration, there is no discernible impact on our performance, apart from the fact that we're actually a little bit lighter. So this starts the game of balance and dehydration and rehydration. Let's hold on to that thought, we're going to come back to it. So what I want to move on to now is what else impacts your hydration needs. We know that hydration now is important for your blood volume. We know that it acts as a great transporter. But what else is there that impacts your individual needs on any given occasion of how many fluids and how often you need to put in? Well, the first factor is temperature and humidity it has a wide impact on your needs or your demands of how much hydration is necessary. You're no genius for guessing cooler temperatures require less hydration. High heat and humidity require more hydration. A second factor is altitude. And in fact, it's a very similar demand as heat. The higher you go, the more hydration is needed. But It's quite often ignored as there's less feedback to the athlete. You tend to get less feedback of hydration needs when you're at altitude relative to if you're in a high heat environment. So people sometimes fail to join the dots on the altitude equation, but it's equally important to the environmental stress of factors such as heat and humidity. A third factor is your individual traits, genetics, your state of fitness. The fitter you are, the more effective at cooling you are and hence you're losing more fluids. And so while sweating more is a good thing because you're better at cooling, you also need to become equipped at rehydrating more effectively. So let's get really practical. What are a few rules of thumb that you need to think about bearing in mind that Kyla in the next episode is gonna give us some deep dive granular metrics, but what are some rules of thumb that are gonna be really useful for you when it comes to your hydration needs around training and racing? Well, there are two key common questions that this focuses around. Number one, how much do I need to drink? And number two, what do I need to drink? Well, guess what? It depends. It depends on the session. It depends on you. And it depends on the environment. So let's establish some rules first. And I want you to frame it like this. I want to go back to a conversation that I had with one of my Ironman athletes a couple of months ago. And his question revolved around this statement. I read that Haligabra Silesi, who's one of the marathon greats, finished his world record breaking marathon at about 8% dehydration why should I over-worry about hydration when I'm racing an Ironman when we have greats like him finishing his race at 8% dehydration? Well, the answer that I gave him was all about the context. First, and I had to point out, we never use a single person to inform our global habits. So how do we know that Gabriel hadn't have been even better if he had been slightly less dehydrated? But it goes more than that. We have to think about his context and situation. His marathon takes just over two hours. So he's operating at a very high level for about two hours. Your marathon, my athlete's marathon, begins when you are at least five hours into the race. And typically for an Ironman athlete, they're starting their marathon six, seven, eight, nine hours into the race. So if we think about an Ironman and their hydration needs, it's very, very different than an elite marathon runner. In fact, when we think about an Ironman distance bike race, if it was just a bike race, we would want to finish slightly dehydrated off that. In fact, the goal would be to finish about 4% dehydration. Because remember what I said earlier, there are no negative impacts of dehydration before you're about 4% dehydrated. So if it was just a standalone bike race, you can get a little dehydrated. You can drink closer to the thirst mechanism that we have from our evolutionary background. Drink to thirst, a little bit of hydration, get dehydrated. We just need you get to the finish line. But that's not the game in Ironman racing because we are looking to set up run performance. So when you're thinking about hydration on the bike during an Ironman, you're actually thinking long term. And your mission should be, the athlete that I'm speaking to, to finish the bike not too dehydrated. It's unrealistic to say you are going to maintain 100% hydration status but the global goal should be able to finish about 1% dehydration because that will set you up to start your marathon not too dehydrated. And no matter what you do during a marathon in an Ironman, you will shed fluids because there's more work and it's much tougher to consume hydration. So you will lose more. But hopefully you finish the bike ride Just dehydrated enough that you can go through and have more to lose during the actual running portion of the of the race. So this is a great example of the it depends on the context of your mission and goals. We have to be really careful about throwing a blanket over the best way to hydrate. For Gabra yeah, he maybe could have done with some more fluids, but he got away with an extra dehydrated state because his race was so short. He was probably only operating at that dehydrated state towards the back end, the last 20, maybe 25 minutes of his race. If you're racing an Ironman or you're going on a five-hour bike ride, that's a very different scenario. And so let's extend to our practical tips. But as we do get practical, I want to say one more thing. And that's this. It is normal and expected to finish a training session dehydrated. The mission is not to retain 100% hydration status. In fact, that is impossible. The mission is to not get too dehydrated. On the flip side of when we talk about drink to thirst, we have Hypernatremia, and that's with people that understand that hydration is important and therefore try and become a camel and pump themselves of fluids. That's not the mission here. We have to try and get not too dehydrated. And so, I don't want you to go into these practical tips thinking that we're looking to retain hydration status. That would be foolish, and in fact, that could even be dangerous. As remember, and going back to that 4% number, some dehydration can even become a performance enhancer. Anyway, I digress. Let's get to the practical tips. Get your notepads out. Here we go. Sessions under 60 minutes. Drink to thirst. Water is okay. We established that earlier in the show. Sessions over 60 minutes. I would say number one consistency is key a nice rule of thumb you're probably consuming give or take about a bottle per hour of fluids if you want to have a metric I'll give it to you now about 10 to 12 milliliters per kilogram per hour so you're consuming about 10 to 12 milliliters of fluid per kilogram of your body weight for every hour of exercise now you want to go on the lower end of that equation in cold conditions you wanna go on the upper end of that equation when it's hotter, greater humidity, greater altitude. Number three, when you consume calories, it is best to consume fluids. How much? Well, if you consumed a gel, that's give or take about 100 calories, you are gonna to have to consume 12 ounces of fluid to enable that to properly absorb. So, generally, don't consume a full gel, at a single time because it's gonna be tough to dilute it enough. Little hits more consistently over the course of each hour of exercise is the best way to go. Number four, the longer the session or race, the more important hydration becomes. So if you're racing a 5K, a 10K, half marathon, a sprint triathlon, Olympic distance, I think that you can lean much more into hydrating according to your thirst. The thirst mechanism is not a great strategy globally for rehydration because it takes a while to actually really give us that signal. And in longer events, that becomes challenging, it becomes a problem. By the time we're told that we're thirsty, we're already falling behind the equation and it's very hard to make up. But in these shorter events that take 20, 30, 40, 60, 120 minutes, you can probably get away to drinking to thirst unless it's very, very hot. As you start to move towards half Ironman distance and Ironman distance, we need to move to a specific and calculated hydration strategy. And we're going to talk about those strategies in the next episode. So the final tip for today, let's talk about the type of hydration beverages. The first thing I'd say under this banner is don't mix calories with hydration. In other words, I like it best when you consume your calories from a packet but you get your fluids from your bottles and your hydration. I prefer to have very weak solutions. You want to avoid super concentrated solutions. Typically, we're looking for a hydration beverage that has less than 4% carbohydrate solution in it. Your optimal scenario is to have some electrolytes in your hydration with low sugar, less than 4%, that most closely matches your body chemistry that can help absorption. And there are some specific, very trendy drinks nowadays that can really help in some longer or high-heap environments. Now, there's much more on this. We talked about under 60 minutes, sessions over 60 minutes, whether you consume calories and supporting it with hydration, whether you drink to thirst or go to a specific hydration strategy relative to the distance of your race, and of course, the best hydration solutions. There's much more, but I wanna hold it there. I wanna leave space for the specifics from Kyla. I think now what we should do is transition and start to talk about daily life because this is equally critical for you as a performance-driven person. So I wanna start with the question of why hydration is important in your life. I think there are three main components that we should talk about. The most basic is that water has a main role in many of your bodily functions. It supports your immune system, it's critical for cellular health. And so we need water to stay alive and to actually maximize your performance of your body. It also has a huge role in recovery. It's a big contributor to repair, recovery and tissue health. And finally, being properly hydrated is gonna help support your digestion and absorption of your calories consumed in your breakfast, lunch, dinners and snacks. But let's get really performance driven and think about sport and life. There are some other components that are really key when we think about your habits around daily hydration. The first is going to be to restore your hydration status. So remember when we talked about hydration during training and racing, I established that it was normal and expected to finish a workout dehydrated. Well, that doesn't mean we want to start the next workout in that same dehydrated state. In fact, when we start to string days of workouts together, our hydration in daily life is a huge contributor to performance readiness and consistency. You finish dehydrated, that's appropriate. It's hugely important that we get hydrated and restore hydration status so that we can not only facilitate recovery, But we can be ready for our best performance possible in the next upcoming workout. Remember, performance is about consistency and hydration and restoration of hydration status between workouts is one of the cogs in the wheel that goes around that consistency solution. The second element of the performance-driven role of daily hydration is your daily energy itself. And I'm sure that you've felt a couple of symptoms in life really sleepy in mid morning or late afternoon. Now it could be related to core temperature, but it is also related to dehydration. When you get dehydrated in the day, you get sleepy. Do you really think when you're really sleepy that it's your optimal scenario for you to focus during the workday? Absolutely not. Another element we should think about about daily dehydration is hunger. A symptom of dehydration is often expressed as hunger. That sounds bizarre, but it's true. And so when people reach for sugar because they're hungry in that late afternoon snack, it's often the fact that they're simply dehydrated. And so by retaining hydration status during day, you are equipped to manage portion control, quality of eating, and it's another tool in the toolbox to help with your best eating habits. And the final component is around that alertness. Yes, related to above, But if you want to maximize critical thinking, decision-making and alertness in the workday, you better be ensuring that you are hydrated. Painting the picture for needs of many of the roles that you guys have in the workplace, proper hydration will facilitate the best function for you to make the best decisions throughout your workday. Well, let's get practical again and let's go to some rules of thumb around daily hydration. Again, the two key common questions How much do I need to drink and what do I need to drink? Well, let me start with this. This is what you don't need. You do not need in your daily life sugary drinks and sports drinks. Save those for hydration during exercise. There is no place for sugar laden drinks, and I encourage you to look for the healthy looking drinks that are actually often have as much sugar as a Coke in your daily life. Instead, through a coach's lens, I would say the best hydration that you can have is water. Now, I'll say it right now, I don't mind sparkling. Some will argue about the potential effects of sparkling water and rehydration using sparkling drinks on teeth. But look, hey, I'm English. I'm already fighting a losing battle here. So I'm gonna go with my sparkling water. If it helps you use sparkling water so you do stay hydrated, fantastic. I would encourage you to always make it a rule to drink two classes of fluid with every single meal and then sip hydration throughout the rest of the day if you're training heavily I think it's a good idea to add a pinch of salt just making sure it's a tiny pinch so it's still tasteless and a little bit of citrus that's going to help the absorption of the fluids that you drink and actually get them to rehydrate at a cellular level I would add caffeine is not a bad thing. In fact, caffeine can be a great part of your recovery. It's one of the reasons we think of a mocha as a pretty good recovery drink. Little bit of chocolate, so there's a little bit of sugar in there, little bit of caffeine, little bit of protein from the milk. That's not such a bad recovery drink. So unless it's in the afternoon or evening, Don't be afraid to add a little caffeine. It's going to help with the absorption of the carbohydrate that you're also consuming at the time and restock your energy levels. Soap to review, water. That's your anchor. I don't mind sparkling. If you're training heavy, add a pinch of salt and a little bit of citrus. That's going to help with absorption. Caffeine. Not such a bad thing, especially after workout. It helps with carbohydrate absorption. Caffeine in the morning. I don't have a problem with coffee. And finally, hot beverages in the afternoon, but best to avoid caffeine and certainly no sugar. Great. Now here's your pushback to me. I don't want to hydrate because when I'm at work and I hydrate, all I have to do is keep getting up and peeing and that disrupts my work performance. Well, what I'm gonna say to that is shift your lens. Because remember, and you've probably read about this, sitting is the new smoking. Movement is key. We start to realize that sitting for long periods of time is highly corrosive to our long-term health. And so those pee breaks become performance enhancers. All of the research also shows that we perform best and are most effective in our workplace when we have bouts of episodes of 45 to 75 minutes of highly focused sprints of work and so if you are hydrating and you do have to get up every hour or so to go for a pee treat that as a performance break you get to move blood that's re-energizing you get to interact with someone yes go and talk to someone say hello let's talk to each other and finally you get to reset the mind you sit down again you refocus and then bada bing you go and do another 45 to 75 minutes of highly effective work. And so when you shift the relationship with the P-breaks, you view them as performance enhancers and natural breaks, as I like to call them, that becomes a good reason to embrace hydration and not a reason for avoidance. So there you have it, a lens on hydration. We've talked today about hydration during training and racing, very simple. We've talked about hydration during your daily life. They both become important. They accumulate to facilitating your best performance during sessions and your recovery from them, and ultimately your energy management during the day. It's another key ingredient for you to creating the performance lifestyle. But what about cramps? Before I leave you, I have to address cramps. And this is a big part of hydration confusion. There is a common perception that dehydration is a direct cause of cramps. This has pretty much been disproven now. It doesn't mean that we're 100% clear on the cause of those pesky cramps. Is it neural? Is it muscle fatigue or weakness? Is it biomechanical? Will electrolytes help? Should you be stuffing yourself full of salt pills? The truth is that there is no bona fide 100% peer-reviewed research that's shown to provide a concrete solution to what causes cramps. And the truth is that there's likely not a single cause because ultimately not all cramps are equal. Let's take a case point and we can think about a couple of different types of cramps. If you jump up and down on your toes for an hour, There's a good reason that your calf cramps if you then go for a swim following. On the flip side is if you're going for a bike ride and your hamstring cramps, then your triceps, then your hands, that's not so localized. We can't identify that as something that's happening on the riding. There must be something biochemical or neural going on. And so, yes, we're going to address cramps in the following episode, but I wouldn't expect a magic solution of a life hack from me, because to be honest, I don't believe there is one yet. So we'll dig more into that. But I want you to leave today with the firm understanding that we don't think about hydration to avoid cramps. Remember, we talked about the role of hydration during exercise as being a transporter, and the maintenance of blood volume and everything that that creates on the backside. And then we talked about your daily life hydration to be a component of your energy, your overall health, your recovery, and to facilitate great eating solutions. So there you have it, your platform of hydration, folks episode two on this we're going to dive into the nitty-gritty with our resident nutritionist kyla chanel and we're going to get to some of the specifics and metrics i deliberately held back on that today but before we go into that with kyla next week i want to tell you a story about marina gilman a purple patch institution of an athlete and i have to say one of my proudest partnerships i've had as a coach when i met marina she had chronic fatigue. She couldn't walk up a flight of steps. She was recovering from a massive life event that we're going to get into next week. And on her journey of losing 100 pounds and becoming a true athlete and finishing a half Man, you are going to love the story of overcoming. It's going to be all about Marina. I encourage you to tune in. And then we'll get back to hydration in a couple of weeks and we'll do a deep dive with Kyla. And just before you go, I want to give you a little bit of information about a couple of events that you might want to join us for. They're both Facebook Live events. The first is this Friday, March 30th, and we're going to be doing our first in a series of four and our pillars of performance. So, of course, we start with the first pillar of performance, and that's endurance training. We're going to have lots of takeaways from my book, The Fast Track Triathlete, but we're going to go deep on season planning, kicking off your races, and making sure that you're staying on track as you navigate the season. The second event is for you triathletes out there Oceanside 70.3. If you're racing or if you have friends that are racing, I'd love for you to join the event. We're going to do an in depth course preview and give you lots of tips and tricks about this institutional and great race on the North American calendar. That's going to be 4 p.m. on Tuesday, April 3rd. So look for all of these on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you found it helpful. And as ever, we'd love to hear what we can improve on. Take care, guys.